0: On behalf of uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor Oscar and myself, a big thank you for our Pastor Appreciation Sunday last week. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate the the lunchtime together, appreciate the the gifts, the cards, and uh, just grateful. Um, It's a privilege to be a part of this church family. It really, truly is. And uh, we just want to say thank you, and we appreciate the fact that you appreciate us. We can appreciate each other, I guess, right? That's a good thing. I was thinking again this morning, and I I haven't uh, said anything about this in in a long time, I guess, but uh, just this morning I was struck again with how much I appreciate our worship team. Um, If you're like me, you've been to churches with great musicians. Some churches, uh, don't let the worship, is the worship team listening? Some churches pay people to lead worship for them. And so they have professional singers and I've been in those services, and, and my impression oftentimes is we're, we're performing. We're, we're putting on a show. And I appreciate the fact that our worship team leads us in worship. And it's not a, it's not a performance. And so uh, I just want to encourage you take opportunity as well to just express appreciation to them. They're here every Sunday. Uh, they practice every week, or most every week. And uh, I just want to acknowledge uh, them as well. Lord, we come this morning, as we've been reminded, we, we come with that great privilege to be in your presence. We come with that great privilege to, to worship you, to lift our, our voices, our hands, our hearts. And we lift even this morning our lives to you. We present them afresh to you this morning as acts of worship. And so, Lord, we come with that expectation that you are here We come with that expectation that it's your voice that we're going to hear. Uh, We come with the expectation that uh, we're going to respond to your voice and what it is you want us to do as a result of this time that we share together. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. You alone are worthy of all honor, all glory, all dominion, all power. You alone are the worthy one. And we acknowledge that together in the mighty name of our Savior, King Jesus Amen. I don't know if your grandmother and mother were a lot like mine, but if they were, you probably heard them say at one time or another. If you can't say something nice about someone... Have you, any of you ever said that to your kids or grandkids? Most of us probably have. Uh, and as, as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, have you ever said those words to an adult? You know, we're a little more timid with adults. We can tell children that. And, and James probably didn't really know this statement. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. But as we reflect on this passage in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, in just a few moments, it, it rings and resonates with me that that's a little bit of the spirit that he's writing in. He's talking to them about, again, their speech habits, how they speak and how they talk. And if you've been tracking with us for the last, what did that say, 15 weeks, 16 weeks? If you've been tracking with us, the whole emphasis of James' Gospel, I started to ask the question, and lest we all be embarrassed by I'm not going to ask the question, I'm going to tell you. The whole theme of James' book is a living, genuine, real faith. Do you have it? And that's what he's emphasizing. That's what he's trying to communicate. And so he began all the way back in chapter 1 talking to them about times of testing and how they ought to respond. He talked to them about the temptation in the midst of testing to step outside of God's will and choose a path inconsistent with God's truth and God's will. In chapter 2, he talked to them about favoritism and how you treat each other. And as he progressed through there, he talked very strongly about their faith. Do you have a a dead faith? Do you have a a demonic faith? Or do you have that dynamic, living, real, true faith? And so he's been developing this theme. And if you were tracking last Sunday, um, he talked to them as chapter 4 opens up. And he says, what's what's the source of all the quarrels and all the fights and all the difficulties? The implication is what? They've got some fights and quarrels and difficulties. And James basically says to them, you know, the problem isn't external stuff. The problem's in here. The problem is selfishness and pride. And so he calls on them in those first, first ten verses of chapter 4. Uh, Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Submit to God. Humble yourselves and he will exalt you. And now, as a conclusion to everything he's been saying, he circles back and talks again about how they talk to each other. I find this kind of fascinating. If you've been paying attention, in chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, verse 26, I think, he said to them... What did he say to them in 126? I got it written down, so I probably should just read it. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless right out of the chute in chapter one he tells them point blank how you speak demonstrates the kind of faith you have and in chapter three we spent a whole morning in chapter three talking about the tongue and in in chapter three james compares the tongue to a a little flame of fire that sets a whole entire forest aflame he says the tongue is untamable it is a reckless evil full of deadly poison. And so now he's circling back as he's concluding this whole section in chapters 3 and 4. And he wants to talk to them again about how they speak to each other. And my impression as I read this passage is everything else he's been communicating was, was kind of general. It was kind of uh, generic. He didn't name names and, and call people out, right? Right? But it almost feels to me, as I read verses 11 and 12 in chapter 4, that James is getting, what's the phrase we would use today? In their face. And so I want you to come, we're going to read these two verses, and then we want to talk about James' concern. Because the concern of James is very real in the world in which you and I live today. This isn't simply something that was true 2,000 years ago. This is very real, very true, in the world in which you and I live. And so in chapter 4, verse 11, he says to these, these believers, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor?" And so, if you remember, the readers that James is writing to are Jews who under persecution have fled from Jerusalem. They're scattered. They're continuing to suffer. They've left home. They've left family. They've left jobs. And they're continuing to experience suffering and difficulty and challenge. And in the midst of this context, James is saying to them, You don't talk to each other the right way. You need to take into account the proper way to talk to and about each other. And so he begins in verse 11 with what I want to call this morning a rebuke. He rebukes them for their behavior. And so he expresses it in these words. Do not speak against one another, brethren. Don't speak against each other. And this morning, if you have uh English Standard Version like Tom or the NIV like Bob or somebody may have a New King James, I think all of those translations say don't speak evil of one another. The word in the original language is two words combined, the word down and the word to speak, to speak down, to put people down. And James is saying this isn't the way that we're supposed to talk. And the tense of the word in the original language suggests to me that what James is really saying is stop speaking against one another. He's rebuking them for their behavior. Does that kind of stuff happen today? You know, we we think of words that come to mind as I think about speaking against others. There's what we commonly refer to as gossip. And gossip is when I talk about somebody else, but the facts that I'm communicating may or may not be true. There's no confirmation of whether those facts are true or not, but I'm talking to someone about somebody else. I'm passing information. The other word that occurs to me when I think about this as a common word in your English Bible is the word slander where someone speaks about another person in such a way that damages their character. They speak about somebody in such a way that it lowers your opinion of them. And so Jane says to these, these brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, stop doing this. Don't do this. You know, the Scripture talks about a lot about loving one another, Right? Anyone ever read those verses? You know, that's a pretty common theme in our Bible. And the way that I talk about you to somebody else demonstrates whether I'm loving you or not. And James James is rebuking that kind of behavior. And it's interesting that he moves on from this rebuke and gives the reason why he's rebuking them. And he goes on and he says, He who speaks against a brother... Or judges his brother, speaks against the law, and judges the law. Does the law say anything? Think about the Ten Commandments for a minute. A little test this morning. Do the Ten Commandments say anything about how we speak to one another? Huh. I know it says, what is that? There you go. The Ninth Commandment. Probably if you were like me and, and someone says the Ten Commandments, you think about the ones you can remember like, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. But I think one of the challenges we face is when the, the Ninth Commandment says, um, don't bear false witness. This is so common in our culture that we, don't even, we no longer regard it as something that's bad. You turn on your television, you turn on the newspaper. How much of what is communicated could fall into the camp of gossip or slander? It is so common, we no longer regard it as something that is bad, something that is wrong, something that shouldn't be done. We just accept accept it as reality. And James says, if I speak evil of you, if I... If I speak against you, if I engage in gossip or slander, I am in violation of God's law, God's word, God's truth. And so, that's a, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? For something we kind of take as not that big a deal, frankly talk about that not big deal thing in a little bit. Um, these Jews understood from the very beginning of childhood the very basic foundation of their Jewish faith. What is called the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And that is a basic foundational truth in the life of a Jewish person growing up and being taught God's law, God's word. And the next verse says what? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so James is taking them all the way back to the very foundation of their... Their roots in Judaism. You're becoming a, a judge of the law. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, he goes on uh, from here and says the result of their behavior is this If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So not only are they now guilty in James' view of things, guilty of invalidating and violating the law, but now they've stepped up and they're now passing judgment on the law, God's truth, God's word. There's a lot of Christians that I've come to call the Yabat crowd. Yabat. Uh, too many times in my experience as a pastor Um, I've had people ask me questions about what the Bible says about a given topic or a given behavior. And when I read the scripture to them, oftentimes the result is, well, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but... Well, yeah, I see that's what the Bible says, but... And and so here, here they are. Having this foundation in God's law, God's truth, God's word. And James is having to rebuke them and tell them, you shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. This isn't right. Not only are you in in violation and invalidating God's law, now you've chosen to sit above the law in, in judgment. You're the authority, not God's word. That's kind of a scary place to wind up, isn't it? I remember years ago, and I've probably shared this illustration before, but I remember years ago, a woman wanted to talk to me. She was struggling in her marriage and had questions. And she came into the office, and we sat down, and she said, I need to know, I'm thinking about leaving my husband, and I want to know what the Bible says. And I said, okay. And so I started all the way in Genesis chapter one, and we talked about therefore what God, you know, what God has joined together um, to become one. Uh, went to the Old Testament Malachi, God hates divorce. Went through the words of Jesus, and when I got all done, and I didn't had no commentary, no Roy, just God, just read all these verses. And when I finished reading them, she said to me, "That's not what I wanted to hear." That's a sad, a sad place to be as a pastor. That's not what I wanted to hear. Well, that's what God says. That's what God says. And so James is communicating a very strong rebuke about how we talk about each other. Don't speak against a brother or sister. We're family, by the way. Janine talked about that when she spoke earlier in the middle of our service. Uh, we're family, right? We're brothers and sisters. And uh, last week when Pastor Oscar was preparing his message and and we were talking about Chapter 4 and all the problems and everything, I said, I've got a great sermon title for you. What's that? Can't we all just get along? If you remember the story of Rodney King and that whole experience in his life, uh, he got pulled over by the cops after a highly intoxicated high-speed chase. And unfortunately, they kind of brutalized him and the fallout of that was pretty extreme. But Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? You know, families, families especially are supposed to get along, right? Families are supposed to get along. Some of the tragic stories I hear in my, in my journey are families that can't get along, don't get along. And so James is laying this out for them. Don't speak against your brother. Don't speak against your sister. Don't speak evil. We're family." In fact, if you go back and your little eyeballs run over chapter uh, verse 11 of chapter 4, how many times in verse 11 do you see, see a reference to brother or brethren? Three times. And I think part of what James is emphasizing is we're family. We're family. And yet this thing of gossip and slander is so common, it, it happens all the time. And some of it... Uh, Some of it is, I want to say, kind of innocent. It happens, and we don't even think about it. Several months ago, I got an email from a friend of mine that's been a friend for close to 50 years. In this email, he attached a uh, police blotter. Are you familiar with what that is? So there's a mugshot... And there's a description of why this person was arrested and being booked. And when I opened this email and opened this attachment, I recognized the photograph. It was one of my mentors from many years ago. A man that I value and appreciate. And I closed the email and I thought, why did... My friend think I needed this information. Why did he send this to me? I don't need to know this. It doesn't help me, frankly it hurt me a lot. And he's not communicating something to me that I can do anything about. I can't help my friend. He's been arrested, he's been booked, he's been released. What's the point? Well, after many months, I'm still trying to figure out what's the point. But what happened in that simple email was damaging to me personally in the esteem that I held my f- former mentor in. And so I would say that's an illustration of exactly what James is talking about. Passing on information to another people they another person that they do not need to hear, they can do nothing about, it doesn't advance the kingdom, what's the point? happens all the time. And I've pondered on why my friend would send me this email. Then I pondered how many other people did he share it with. I had another experience this week. Um, A couple that I barely know. In fact, I'd never met the wife. I had met the husband through an interesting set of circumstances that are way too much time. But he and I did a bike ride together from his place out in Rancho Cucamonga down to Seal Beach. And I spent whole entire day with him. We're friends on Facebook, but I haven't seen him or talked to him since that day we did the bike ride. So out of the blue, he calls me last week and says, my wife and I would like to talk with you. Great. Happy to help. When can we meet? So we met Friday morning, had breakfast together. And so I had like a week to think about why are are they calling me? Why do they want to meet? What's going on? And I had created all kinds of possible scenarios. None of them were right. And so they unfolded a story for me where the wife had developed a very close relationship, friendship, with a woman who was a staff member at the church they attend, And they were having some challenges and some difficulties with their relationship in the church, and they thought I'd be neutral and impartial and might be able to help. And so they unfolded this story where this woman who was the church staff member was having challenges and difficulties because of not feeling included and accepted, it's it's kind of an interesting scenario. There's three pastors and a woman in children's ministry and trying to figure out how to make these relationships all work. Well, this woman, who's a staff member at the church, confided in this wife of the couple that I met with. And now this woman is in possession of information about the pastoral staff And the challenges and difficulties that the other gal had in those relationships. And the result of that is, what's their level of trust in their pastors? And so they're asking me, so what do we do? (laughs) But again, so here's this, this gal who needs someone to talk to, needs to unburden herself, if you will, and chose what I'll call the gal that's my friend now, chose her as her confidant. And now she's in possession of information she didn't need to know, right? And there's nothing she can do about the difficulty in this gal's relationship with the rest of the church staff. This kind of stuff goes on all the time. Very innocent Um Needing someone to talk to, I get that. I wish you'd talk to somebody who wasn't a part of their church. But James says, this this speaking against, speaking evil of others shouldn't be going on, right? Now, thankfully, in the 100 and almost 13 years history of this church, it has never been a problem. It's a problem in every church. It's a problem in every organization, every group. And so, I want to suggest this morning that what James is up to, um, well, before I do that, let me do this. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how we talk to each other. One commentary I was reading this last week said that there are more verses in the Bible about slander and gossip Than there are about any other topic. I'm not sure that's true. But there sure are a lot of them. If you read through Proverbs and Psalms especially. There's lots of them. Oh, let me pick out a few. Leviticus 19.6. God tells his people. You shall not go about as a slanderer. In Psalm 15. One of my favorite Psalms. David says. Who who can come on your holy hill? Who, Who can dwell with you? Who's able to do that? And then he lists these qualities of someone who qualifies to be in God's presence on his holy hill. And on that list, guess what? Someone who doesn't slander with his tongue. Oh, Proverbs 20, verse 19. Solomon says this, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. That's wisdom, isn't it? Sometimes there's a need in our relationships to be able to say, you know, if if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. Or as I like to say, zip it. Right? The New Testament equally has uh, passages on this theme. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20, he says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness slanders now we're not surprised that Jesus would talk about murder adultery but on that list what's he include slander and in my mind I'm thinking so Jesus puts murder and adultery and slander all on the same level do we think of it that way I don't think so. Um, oh, and Jesus just goes on and says, these are the things which defile the man or woman. You see, the audience Jesus was talking to, they were all concerned about externals. Washing the hands, washing the utensils, keep it, you know, they had all these rituals of cleansing. And Jesus says, it's, it's not what goes in that defiles, it's what comes out slanders on that list. Um, Paul says in Colossians 3, 8, put aside malice, anger, slander. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1, therefore putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And so the scripture is just filled with these issues. And there's, there's stories that illustrate the, the powerful impact of passing on information, true or false, uh, the powerful information that happens. The information that my friend emailed to me with the police blotter, was that information factual and true? Yes. Did Roy need to see it and hear it? No. But you think if, if you think of some of the stories in the Old Testament, um In the story of Jacob and his relationship with his father-in-law, Laban. Got you all tracking now in Genesis. Jacob, father-in-law, Laban. So he's serving his father-in-law in in order to gain two wives. Leah and Rachel. And in the story of Jacob, one of the crises that happens is because Laban's sons, who are jealous of Jacob's success, badmouth him. That's my translation of speak evil speak against they badmouth Jacob to their father with some pretty extreme circumstances that follow If you know the name Jezebel in the account in the chronicle of the kings Jezebel has she speaks against a man by the name of Naboth who owns a vineyard that her husband wants and Naboth won't sell it. So Jezebel slanders Naboth and the result is he's killed. And guess who winds up with his vineyard? These kinds of stories multiply. Was David ever slandered? How about Jesus? Yeah. Apostle Paul? Yeah. The Scripture is filled with stories... And examples. And James' simple admonition is stop speaking against your brothers and sisters. So I think there's four things that James is trying to get these readers to think about. There's four kind of topics, if you will, that run through these verses. The first is it matters what we think about others. The attitude to them, the others that you are speaking against and speaking evil of, the others that you're bad-mouthing, they're family. They're brothers. They're sisters. How we think about others matters. That's why Paul says in... Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing, not one thing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty ambition. But with humility of mind, consider others, what? More important than yourself. Do not think about your own matters only, but think about the concerns of others. And then he points us to the example of Jesus. And so, James has talked to them in the opening verses of chapter 4 that Pastor Oscar shared with us last week. And the big, theme, the big theme is pride and jealousy are messing with your lives and messing up your relationships. The solution to pride and selfishness is what? Humility. Do we think of our relationships with others in the context of humility? Putting others first. James says, how we think about others matters. And then the second thing that he's addressing here is how we think about the law matters. What you think about God's Word matters. The way that you think about God's truth is important. Is it valid? Is it true? Do you, in your life, do you, are you called to submit yourself to God's Word? As part of what the earlier part of chapter 4 was. Submit yourself to God. Surrender to Him. Humble yourself. And so the attitudes that we have about God's Word are critical. They're so important. Do we believe that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped, prepared for every good work. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? And so if we believe these kind of truths, the implication is my attitude towards God's law, God's truth, God's Word is what? I submit to it. It's not, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but, and so James says, it matters what you think about others. It matters what you think about God's Word, God's truth, God's law. And then thirdly, it matters what you think about God. James says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, right? There's only one, not two, not three, there's just one. And that lawgiver and judge is God. The Almighty God who created the universe. He is the judge. He's the lawgiver. And so, what we think about God's Word is closely associated with how we view God. What our view of God is. Is He truly the judge? Is He the finally, final arbiter? Yes. And so, as Paul asks the question in, in Romans, I think, 14, chapter 14, uh, he says to the Romans, uh, who are you to judge someone else's servant? And his point is, this person is God's servant, what? Do, why do you think you should be sitting in judgment of God's servant? God can handle that, right? By the way, all sin, including speaking against my brother or my sister, all sin is ultimately sin against God, right? And I think about that thought that whatever I do, Whatever sin I commit, wherever I violate God's Word, it is a sin chiefly against God. And we might think, well, you know, speaking against uh, my neighbor, speaking against my sister, speaking evil, bad-mouthing my brother, uh, I've sinned against my brother. No, well, that's true. But ultimately, what's true? Sinned against God. In Psalm 51, where David pours out his heart... Seeking forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba. One of the most profound things in that portion of Scripture is David says, Against thee and thee alone have I sinned. Whoa, well, whoa, well, back up, David. What about your sin against Bathsheba? What about your sin of killing her husband, having him killed? What about your deception and lies? And uh, Yeah, but his understanding was, My sin he says, is against you and you alone. And so James is concerned that these believers are thinking correctly about others, about God's word, and about God himself. And ultimately, finally, the fourth thing he's concerned about is how do they think about themselves? Because when we speak against a brother, badmouth a brother or sister, um... Oftentimes, the agenda is, in putting them down, we are trying to raise ourselves up. Thank you. And so, James says it's important how you think about yourself. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Humble yourself in the sight of God and He will lift you up. And so James is weaving into these two short, simple little verses a whole bunch of stuff. Stop speaking evil. Stop bad-mouthing. We're family. And you're in violation of God's law, and then you want to sit in judgment on God's law? He says, don't do that. Don't do that. And so as I thought about all this, I thought, you know, somewhere, Roy, we need to kind of flip the coin over to a positive side. So, does the Scripture ever talk to us about how we ought to speak to each other? Well, just a few that that I wrote down. Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. So, love needs to guide my speech as well as my behavior, right? Speak the truth in love. And then Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. So, yes, speak the truth in love, but it's also important to speak truth. Speak truth, each one with his neighbor. Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. What does that word unwholesome suggest to you? It's Unwholesome. Well, it's the opposite of wholesome. Oh, you guys are brilliant. It's the opposite of wholesome. What is something that is wholesome? It's good. Thank you. What else? It's true. What else? Fulfilling. If something, if I said, we're, I'm going to prepare you a dinner and it's going to be really wholesome, would that thrill you? Not really. Why not? Because it's going to be really good. It's going to be really healthy. There's going to be no sugar, no gluten, none of that really good stuff. And so he says, let no unhealthy, unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And then he goes on and says, but only such a word as is good for edification. What's the word edification mean? Builds up. What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. That's what speaking against, speaking evil and bad mouthing does. And so he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only that which is good for edification. And then notice, he follows that statement with this. According to the need of the moment. Did I need to get that email with that police blotter? Did it meet any need in my life at all? None. Did it build me up? For edification, to meet the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Are you in the habit of consistently extending grace to others? That word grace is the idea of it's undeserved. It's unmerited. I'm giving you something that, you know, I'm just giving it. No strings attached. Not expecting anything back. I've been trying to train myself to do that with the can't say that word. That's not a good word. The people on the freeway who cut right in front of you like that I had a guy this morning, he's in the, he's in the carpool lane, or the, the number one lane next to the carpool lane, I'm in the number two lane, and he goes flying past me and changes lanes with about one car length in front of me. And I look up in my rearview mirror and there's nothing behind me for a quarter mile, but yet he needed to change lanes right in front of me. Those people... <sighs> Anybody take driver's ed back when you were growing up and learn how to drive? Do you remember the rule of thumb when you go past a car and you're going to change lanes? At what point, well, I'm really testing you now. At what point were you taught it's now safe to move in in front of the vehicle you just went past? You don't move over until you can see the full entire car in your rearview mirror. When you're that far ahead, you're good to go right there. So I have to give grace. To those people instead of reacting like I did this morning stupid people Paul says I need to give my brothers and sisters grace he says in Ephesians four thirty one, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor slander be put away and then he chases it in verse 32 which I love be ye kind to one another Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace as though seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Preserves. What else does it do? It enhances flavor, brings out flavor. Is my speech that which brings out the good? Is my speech that which preserves what doesn't need to be said but it brings out the good, it brings out the best, it enhances the flavor if you will let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person so James' message is simple, stop bad mouthing your brother a person with a real, genuine, true faith does not badmouth his brother. Is that true? If my faith is genuine, true, and real, which is James' whole point in his book, then I do not badmouth my brother or my sister. In fact, Scripture talks about, this just popped into my head, but it fits, um, Scripture talks about how you deal with a brother or sister who has sinned. You know, Jesus says you go one-on-one and you talk to that person if they've offended or sinned. You go to that person and you talk to them one-on-one. And if they're not responsive to that conversation, then you go with two or three witnesses and have that conversation. If that doesn't work, then there there may be opportunity and, and time where it needs to be presented to the whole church. Paul says in Galatians 6, if you see a brother caught in a trespass, restore him in a spirit of gentleness and fear, looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. So if there's a brother that appears to be in sin, his behavior is inconsistent with Scripture, inconsistent with God's truth, then the thing to do is you call a special prayer meeting and get 15 people together and pray for him, right? No, you go to the person and you're going, you go with the intent to restore. That word restore was used to the idea of, of mending nets, fishing nets that were snagged and broken, needed to be mended or repaired. So you need to have the motive of restoring the brother. And you do that in a spirit of meekness and fear. Why? Well, look into yourself, lest you too be tempted. Because right time, right place, right circumstance, I could be as guilty of that sin as him. And right time, right place, right circumstance, so could you. And so Paul says, you go to the brother with the motive and the attention to restore, to rebuild, to edify. And you do that in gentleness, meekness, humility. And so I read this passage and I think to myself, so how, how do I measure up? How do I measure up to what James is saying? And so I'm going to ask you that question this morning. How do you measure up? James says, don't badmouth your brother or sister genuine real true faith does not badmouth the brother or the sister how do I measure up have I been guilty of gossip slander how do I measure up is there something I need to change in my life and behavior is there something I need to confess And my prayer this morning is that we would commit ourselves afresh in our relationships in this family to not speak against, speak evil, bad mouth a brother or sister. That we would make that commitment this morning. That's my prayer. And so, Lord, we would respond this morning to the call of James, his admonition, Reminding ourselves that it matters uh, what we think about you and your word. what it, it matters how we see others, how we see ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would give us an ability to honestly evaluate and acknowledge where we fall short. And I'm so grateful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the ministry of your word that speaks to us, that convicts us that points us in the direction we need to go. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would be people who speak well of each other. That we would speak with grace, seasoned with salt, with the motivation and the ambition to build up, to edify others. Lord, make that the spirit of our hearts. Make that the commitment of our hearts this morning. And so I invite you just in this quiet moment to... That you would commit yourself afresh. That you would respond in this moment to James' admonition. Don't speak against your brothers or sisters. Don't speak evil. Don't badmouth. Make that commitment this morning. Jesus wants to be honored in our lives, our actions, our thoughts, and our words. And so, Lord Jesus, our prayer is that you would be honored, glorified, your name lifted up because of the way that we behave, the way that we speak as those whose faith is real, whose faith is genuine, whose faith is living. And we commit ourselves to doing that for your glory in Jesus'